Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I think that's what the world needs to see. The world doesn't need to see politically motivated Christians. It needs to see Jesus-motivated Christians. Amen. You know, our, our Christianity is not best expressed through politics or being right. It's best expressed through two things, loving the Lord our God and our unity in that and loving people. Jesus said we do those two things, the world will look at us and say, the love they have for one another, it's different. It's different. They will look and say, I don't, you know, like I said last week, it's kind of half true, half funny. People look at that and say, I don't, I don't know about that talking serpent thing. I don't know about that, all those animals on the boat thing. But you know what? What they got is different. Now, we, I believe in that. But the world looks at that kind of stuff and says, that's, that's why we're discredited. Unfortunately, it's easy to discredit Christians sometimes because our behavior doesn't match what Jesus said, you know? I'm just jumping right in here, aren't I? You good? Everybody smile. We're, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be encouraging. <laughs> but it's about walking in love toward people because we know that we're loved by God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That God never questions his love for you because Jesus made that secure for us. And that's where I want to go today. We're going to continue in, you know, just kind of looking at Jesus as our filter, filtering everything through who he revealed himself to be, filtering our understanding about the Bible, how we teach our kids and, and the decisions that we make, not from a perspective of I'm a Christian, these are the rules, I've got to do that, but from the perspective that God created this place, he knows how it works. If you do it according to his instructions, it will go well for you. Amen? Amen. Now, you're blessed because you are in Christ. You are the seed of Abraham. You are safe in the new covenant between the Father and the Son if you've said yes to Jesus. But your life might be a mess because you aren't making decisions consistent with that identity. Right? You know, the thing about Christianity is that it's easy to make it about right and wrong, you know? It's easy to make it about performance because we so want to do the right thing. I mean, we want to do the right thing. We want to get it right. We want to live in such a way where, you know, it pleases the Father, our decisions and our actions and all of that. But the problem is, is that it's been imposed on us that if you get it wrong, God's unhappy with you, or God will reject you, or God will turn his back, or he will lift his hand of anointing, or he will cause the devourer to come into you. You know, whatever your language is, whatever your background is, the language that comes in. But you know what? The problem with that is, is it invalidates the finished work of Christ. You know, we have to be fiercely founded on what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. Everything must be filtered through this new covenant reality. You know, now we're not talking about license to sin or greasy grace or any of that kind of stuff. We're just talking about, no, the king 
of the universe has finished his work. And what he's doing is allowing his spirit to work through his church and his body until the fullness of time, whatever that looks like, right? Now, he'll make the decision when it's done. But the thing is, you as a believer, you have to be secure in his blood, in his sacrifice, in his work, not in your work. Amen? I mean, you have to know that you are secure before you ever even attempt to live this life in him. You know, it, it's, it's the ultimate aspect and responsibility of freedom that God says, you know what? You're no longer condemned. You're in Christ. I'm not. This was the promise of the new covenant. The Jews, the whole covenantal or the whole sacrificial system was looking for this promise. The day when Ezekiel's prophecy and Isaiah's prophecy and Jeremiah's prophecies would come true about a new covenant and part of that new covenant is God is no longer holding your sin against you. That's, pro, that's a huge promise for the new covenant. And now, you got to realize what that meant for those guys. Back then, their whole life under the old covenant, under the law portion and the sacrificial system, their entire life was governed by God holding their sin against them. Everything was governed by, you know, if I, miss, if I break this law, then I've got to bring this kind of bird or bring this type of sacrifice or bring this much money or this portion, and I can't do this on this day. And it's not that the law was bad. We're not talking that the law was bad. It was perfect, holy. It was for a reason. It was to show us you can't be righteous in and of yourself you need a Savior. It was a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus. And once we have Jesus, then his law gets written on our heart. And what we do is we yield to his spirit for transformation. Amen. It's really pretty simple, except for that transformation part. <laughs> because, <laughs> what do you say? Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I didn't mean to deflate the balloon on you there, but. No, it's true, right? That's the biggest frustration within Christianity is we look in the mirror and we say, you should be doing better than this. But then you can't forget the cross. You can't forget that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean you can continue in sin? No. It means that you have grace that is stronger than sin. It means that God is not tallying your sin and getting ready to dump out punishment on you because he already did that in Christ. Does that mean you can just sin and get away with it? No. Okay. It's weird that you have to say that. Paul did it. Paul said it. He preached the gospel, and he said, well, so are you saying, what, what then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. No. Then he went, you know, it's interesting. Anytime you see him say that, the qualifier, he then goes to talk about the difference between carnal thinking and spiritual thinking, which, you know, more and more I see that when you preach the gospel, and people hear, you're telling me I can sin, they're carnal in their thinking rather than spiritual in their thinking. And that's our whole direction that we want to go with our Christianity because we're sitting in here, most of us are believers, you know, probably doing pretty well. I looked at Donald when I said that. I'm trying to be safe, but <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're trying to, I mean, you're in church, right? You're in church. So pat yourself on the back for that at least. But, but the world out there, looks at people that try to follow God. And I'm telling you, man, if, you know, we live in our little bubbles. Go somewhere where God is not mentioned. 
Jump on the atheist Facebook page. You ever done that? You ever go, it's American Atheists is like the biggest um, group. Go on American Atheists on Facebook and read some of those posts. It's overwhelming, the mindset that's against God out there. And I'm not, I mean, of course it's evil. It's against God. But I'm not talking about going in there to try to point the finger and say, these people are bad. These people are going to hell. They should just turn their life over to Jesus. And they should, but it's like, okay, if we are the light of the world, if we are ambassadors for Christ, how in the world are you going to reach those kind of people? What kind of answer do you have for somebody that's stuck in destructive behavior and they can't get out of it? The only answer that we have is Jesus. But the best way to display that answer is your life changed by Jesus. It just, it just is, you know. It doesn't matter if you can prophesy and get miracles and all that kind of stuff. If it's not done in the context of love, if it's not done from the context of you having been transformed and continually experiencing transformation, you sound like a just making racket. Nobody wants to listen to it, you know. And, I, and I'm not trying to condemn the church. I'm trying to, you know, there's a process that we go through, and it's realizing that we're free in Christ and realizing that, oh, you know, I can get off the hamster wheel of performance-based religion and finally enjoy life with God. You know, you set your mind and heart at peace, realizing that God's will for you is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what he wants for you. You don't have to be confused trying to figure out God through your circumstances. Figure out God through what Jesus did for you. I should get at least one amen on that one. Think about that. Don't try and figure out God through your circumstances. Understand God through Christ. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. Amen? amen. There's an area that you're confused about. Why is this going on? Okay, let me first look at Jesus. Jesus is my filter. Remember the old, what would Jesus do bracelet? Uh, let's make a new one. Who is Jesus and who am I in him, you know? See, huh? Be a big bracelet. <laughs> I know all those names that Adam read today. We've got a blog up on the website that goes through a whole list of the names of Jesus. You know, I encourage you to, to engage in those kinds of exercises. See, because you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've been, if you've said yes to Christ, you've been predestined to be conformed into his image look just like him. You've been recreated after his nature in true righteousness and holiness. We are, that's true of us in our spirit. We are to put it on in our mind so that it drives our decisions and our behaviors. But you can't even hope to engage in that transformative process if you don't already know the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. He is your righteousness. He is the lamb that absorbed all of your sin, all of your guilt, and all of your shame. He removed it out of the way so there's nothing left for God to hold against you. And you just stand before the Father cleansed. Amen. That's got to be your mindset when you're trying to deal with the rest of your life. You know, I, I, I sit in my counseling office, and that's the biggest hurdle to get people over sometimes in the beginning is, is, is they're a believer to get them to realize, you know what? 
you are complete in Christ. He in you is the hope of glory. I'm not going to put you on this path of starting broken and then trying to get fixed through your performance. And the more sin you get out of your life, the more holy you become. No, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to start from the perspective of understanding salvation through sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. Where you stand with the Father, if you were to pass away right now in this moment and you stood before the Father, would he say, oh, you can't come in just yet because of what you said to that person on the way to church this morning? (laughs) You didn't repent of all your sins. You can't quite come in yet. Let me tell you something. You have repented for thousands of sins, but you have committed millions of sins. And that didn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Are you saying we shouldn't repent? No, that's not what I'm saying. Repentance is changing your mind. Admit the truth about your choices and your lifestyle. Turn away from it. Turn toward God. Amen? Amen. I mean, grace teaches you to live holy and live godly. It's just that we, we don't always know how to be taught by grace. You know, we want to be taught by our good behavior. So Romans 12, 2, you know, and we read this a lot, and, and much of what we do in here is from that context, from that foundation, getting Jesus and the understanding of what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection in the right place, and getting you in him in the right place, then let's deal with all, this, all the rest of this stuff, Right? So in Romans 12, 2, it kind of just gives us a lot of insight here. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a lot of times we focus on the middle and end part on that, and that is the way you experience being the person that you know you can be, should be, God has promised for you in Christ, renew your mind. If you think differently, you will make different choices. It's pretty simple. So then we go through this process of understanding what Jesus accomplished in us and for us and through us and in his supremacy. And we acknowledge that in our hearts and our minds. If you've got an area of your life that is broken, you make repetitive bad choices, you continue in that sin, the 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 power of how to change in that area is to understand that deliverance that you have received in Christ in that area already, tap into that truth of who he is in you and let that empower you, right? Like if you think that there's just really not much hope for you, that you're just always going to struggle with this issue and you just kind of have to figure out how to manage that sin, there's no real victory in that. That's an excuse to stay in that sin. But if you adopt the reality that Christ has set you free from the judgment of that sin because Jesus himself already paid for it, your heart is revealed. Some people will take that and fall into a ditch and say, whew, I can get away with this. Well, that's dumb. That will drive you into an early grave. But most people would say, you know what? I want to protect this freedom that God has given me. 
I want to reflect the character of God. I want to display the power of the gospel. I want the world to see what a person yielded to God looks like. That's, that's most people's response. But the first part of this, and basically he's saying, when you renew your mind and you're transformed, you know, this ties in with being predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and the other areas of transformation. It's actually the same word that was used of Jesus of when he was transfigured on the mountaintop and the, his, the three inner circles saw him. It's the same word. We're predestined to be transfigured into that image. That's amazing. But the first part of this is kind of where I want to go. It's really where I want to go today, maybe the, over the next one. Go ahead and put that back up there if you would, Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world. This, world, uh, this word conformed, it's, it's what you would think it is. In the Greek, it's to fashion after something. It's a word, it's in the Greek, where they would use in the Greek tragedy. You know, if you, you see the plays where you see the mask, one mask is smiling and one mask is frowning. You know, the concept from the Greek perspective is to be conformed into something. You're actually picking up a mask and putting something on and becoming something that you're not or trying to be fashioned into something. So the warning is don't be fashioned after this world. Now, watch this. This is pretty cool because when you look in the Greek, which, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, so... The King James only people, I always want to tell them, well, praise God for that. But it was not written in King James English. It was written in the Greek. If you really want to be a hardcore, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Let's keep going here. <laughs> the point is, you get a lot when you go. So the root word, and root words are significant in Greek because it gives you, you know, the meaning. It gives you the core of what this word is. The root word is the word schema. And a schema is a mental structure of preconceived ideas, a framework representing some aspect of the world, or a system of organizing and perceiving new information. All right, so get this picture. Now, also, we know that in brain chemistry, you guys all know this, right? You study this stuff, right? Dave got it down. And I, you know, I'm not a brain chemist, but I can read. <laughs> so we know that what schemas are, are neurological patterns of function in your brain, right? It's, it's, it's a, when you do a repetitive action or you have the same kind of thoughts, your brain chemistry actually will reflect that, the physiology and the chemistry. Physically, your neurons are almost like trees. They grow more and they become bigger and stronger and more dominant based on repetitive thinking cycles. They know this because they've studied people and measured their brain activity and done all kinds of tests. So in other words, you ever felt like you didn't, you weren't in control of yourself? You, you know, especially like you do something and, and then afterward, it's like in the middle of it, you're watching yourself and you're saying, no, stop, don't do it. But you just keep on going, you know. I mean, I'm not always saying it's a brain function issue. You might need some deliverance. Or you just need some good old self-control from the Spirit of God. But we do know that your brain 
is impacted by your choices and your decisions. And the more you stay in certain cycles, your brain says, okay, we're going to keep doing that. I'm going to make it easier for you. We're going to grow this pattern right here where you can just run that without even thinking. This is what you want to do. This is, what we're going to, this is how we're going to recreate it. And then so with that type of brain function comes preconceived ideas. So it's like when you hear a particular word like uh, grace, you have preconceived ideas of what those things are. You know, you hear a, pre, a, a word like salvation. You have preconceived ideas. Have you ever thought you knew something and then found out you were wrong? <laughs> it's hard to admit it, right? <laughs> partially because we got some ego involved. You know, it's like, no, but I'm right. But partially it's because to learn something new or different, I mean, the goal is this, not to just try to learn things, but the goal is that we get our beliefs closer and closer to the truth. You know, we want every thought, every belief, every aspect of our being to be reflecting the truth of Christ in us. And so it's not about right and wrong. It's not about making fun of people's beliefs or anything like that. In fact, you know, we need to learn to let our preconceived ideas go about people that believe differently than we do, look at them as a human being, separate them from their ideas or their behavior, relate to them as a human, deal with the ideas or behaviors, but this is a person loved and valued by God. Jesus died for this person. How dare I throw them away because they believe something different than me or they sin differently than me? But that's what we do. We have these preconceived filters. And the physiology of our brain even matches it. So, but it's, it happens in our past. You know, you have these preconceived ideas based on your own behavior that you think about yourself. You might have everybody around you encouraging you, looking at you, saying, man, you can do this. You, you, you are tailor-made for this. You can succeed in this area. You can do this. But inside, you're like, I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. But yet everybody around you actually knows you better than you know yourself in that area. You're judging yourself based on your past, those preconceived ideas that we have, those filters that we look at ourselves through. Man, a big one is political filters. <laughs> Don't go on Facebook during election season. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to... <laughs> It, it just it gets bad. You know, there might be some Democrats in here, so be nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, you know, but, the, but that's even it. It's like, like this preconception that Christians are Republicans. It's so silly, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, can we just let go of the labels and look at ideas? Now, looking at it within Christianity, looking at it in regard to this scripture, Romans 12, 2, let's put it back up there. Be not conformed to this world. You know, it's not just engage in the process of transformation, living out what God has done in you through Christ. It's also watching and realizing what things in the world am I allowing to shape me? I mean, this is a pretty basic message. But I want to give you maybe a little bit more depth than you realize. You know, Chris and I, raise your hand over there, Chris. He's, um, most people are, 
familiar with Chris and Shay, Chris is just, Chris and Shay are just on a high with God that will never end. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but we've been talking a lot about youth, right? And Courtney is out with the youth. It's really cool. They had a bunch of kids. They're going over and good things happening in the student ministry. But, and this is something that I've studied a lot, and I actually use these ideas in counseling, and I use these, you know, tools to help people because I know that for you to break a destructive cycle and turn your turn away from a particular sin or turn away from the pain of abuse from your past or turn away from the pain that you are creating for your spouse in this moment, you know, what, whatever it is that we need to turn away from, we're allowing this world to shape the filters that we look at other people through and that we look at ourselves through. So he was showing me this, and I've seen these kinds of things before, but there's a video. I, even, I put it up on Facebook. And it's a 2020 documentary on digital addictions. And I thought it's mostly going to be kids, but there's some adults in there. Now, it's interesting because these video games, and this is not a sermon about don't play video games. This is a message about don't be conformed by this world. In other words, what is it that you are allowing to shape you? What is it that you're allowing to define who you think you are? Is it what Christ did for you and in you and through you and is seeking to continue? Or is it you look to the world to collect some information about how you're going to live your life? Or you're just letting things happen? So they got to a point in this documentary where they, they did some brain scans on people. These, guys, these people that were uh, basically addicted to video games. Now, they measured the electric activity, I think. I don't remember the exact term, but some lights. You can see some lights in the brain. When they hook these things up, they, there's a scan of the brain. The brain is gray, but the areas of the brain that light up are red and, you know, different colors. Well, they did scans on normal acting people, normal behaviors, and, and there was a lot of different activity. And then they scanned these people who just their general brain function, who were spending eight, ten hours a day playing video games, it looked like a zombie. There were two little red dots. Was it the front or back? Right in the back. That was it. There was no other brain activity happening but these two little dots. And the people that they were interviewing, you could see it. You see it on the face. You know, and that's scary. It is scary. It's like a zombie. Just... And so they did this detox thing where they took these kids and these adults and they unplugged them, put them in like a 40-day rehab where they're just out in nature, and there were withdrawal symptoms. Now, the withdrawal symptoms were not from a substance. The withdrawal symptom is the brain trying to calculate and reconfigure, see, because your emotional state of being is affected by your brain activity. And the other way around, your brain activity is affected by your emotional state of being. What is it that you're allowing to fashion you in this world? See, because you are responsible for your transformation. Now, Jesus accomplishes it, but are you constricting it by, by letting the world shape you? You know, do you adopt a political label? Do you subject yourself to things that, that are contrary to who Christ is in you? And see, when we do that, that's where... Uh-oh. 
That's where that guilt and that shame and that condemnation and that overbearing sense of doom comes from. When you face a truth and you realize that truth is not evident in my life right now, I've got some changes to make, it's a big deal, right? Y'all don't worry about that baby. Just pretend like you're in a... You would not worry about a baby crying anywhere else but in church. (laughs) (laughs) I am. You know what I mean? We love y'all. So, what was I saying? Yeah, I was just making sure you were listening. Yeah, that's the thing is, right, because we have this preconception that Christianity is about your behavior, mostly, then when your behavior isn't right, you have such overwhelming condemnation. Because deep in your heart, you only want to live in a way that's in agreement or pleasing to God, right? So, here's the thing. When you, and this is why we focus so much on the foundational elements of who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you and what he accomplished for you and just going over and over and over the promise of the new covenant, the tenets of the new covenant, the security of salvation in him, and just making Christianity about Jesus rather than about us. Because eventually, this process happens where in your heart and in your mind, you stop imposing a set of rules on yourself, and you start just opening your heart and your mind to the influence of the Spirit of the living God within you. Christianity shifts from, God, where are you, to, I acknowledge Christ that you are in me. You are the power that I need. It moves from thinking that you got it all worked out and pointing the finger at other people and saying, you don't have it worked out. Look how much I'm better than you. That's what the world is receiving. But I know I'm kind of all over the place for a minute. But for your personal life, recognizing that your choices and what you allow to affect you, it's not just a moral issue that you're dealing with. You are programming your very physiology to repeat the same cycles. Now, that's good news and bad news. It's good news because you can, make, you can change. And you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? Amen? But it's really hard sometimes because even your brain will, you know, like let's say you, you start to learn some new concepts within Christianity about the finished work of Christ. And, and you've been taught your entire life that you can... You know, I don't want to be too much of a distraction, but let's just say that you've been taught your entire life that God is angry with you when you sin. And so you're afraid of judgment coming upon you. And then you start to realize and understand Isaiah, Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. There's this beautiful promise of exchange in Christ. And God says, I will make a covenant of peace, an everlasting covenant. I will not be angry with you any longer or rebuke you. And that is a promise to those who will ultimately receive the finished work of what he just described in Isaiah 53. And so, you know, you get to a part where you realize, oh, yeah, I'm not getting, and it looks like this. You realize I'm not getting in because of my behavior, but then you start dealing with, but I might be kept out because of my behavior because he's angry with me, right? And it's difficult 
to get over that hump and realize my salvation is only in Christ alone. And then you think you're over that, and then something bad happens, and you say, I wonder what I did for God to allow this in my life, you know? It's a process to just continually go through and realize, you know, God is trying to develop Christ within me. He has good plans for me. Walking with Christ, he says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy and light. Does that mean your life's going to be perfect and you're not going to face difficulties? No. It just means it's not from God, like he says in James. So conformed to the image of this world or being conformed by this world, when you start to recognize and own an area where you do want to see transformation in your life, you might hit some things even in your physiology that make it hard to make these decisions. This is why it's so important to nurture your connection with God inwardly. It's so important to live from your spiritual identity because then that will begin to dictate to every other aspect of your being who you already are in Christ. You know, rather than thinking, once I get everything cleaned up and as I get more clean, I get closer to God or I become more of who I'm supposed to be, you start realizing, no, the sufficiency of what he's done within me makes me the kind of being that is already a masterpiece in him because his sacrifice is that sufficient. Now, starting from that place, I have hope that I can change. I have hope that I don't have to struggle with this sin the rest of my life. I don't have to live at this the rest of my life. I can be free and not worry about if God's just waiting to judge, you know, because you understand the judgment in Christ. All these foundational things that it's like, okay, well, I already believe that. Yes, but do, does it actually affect your life, right? When, when it gets hard, where do you go? Do you go to understanding who you are, where you are in Christ, or does this preconceived thing, does it, do you put it, it's like you put this mask on and you start to let it shape you and then you try to get God to come through this. You see what I'm saying? You know, it's all good when you're sitting here in worship and they're all singing and the harmonies are, didn't they sound great today? And everything's like perfect and the temperature's just right and you know, the voices are, you got the goosebumps. You know, it's all really good to think, to just kind of rest in that moment. But tomorrow morning, <laughs> think about it. When you really have to live within, see, man, I am just so desired. I'm not, I, I'm not interested in trying to teach you a bunch of new stuff. I want to inspire something within believers draw unbelievers in, but inspire something within believers that causes your Christianity to be more than just going to church, more than just, I'm trying to do the right thing, Lord help me when you remember, but it actually shapes who you really are, that this life with Jesus is is a real thing to you, that it actually affects your mind and your thoughts and And you literally experience transformation. There's a lot of people that get saved and they think, well, you know, I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not, you know, I'm not beating my kids anymore. And I'm not lying at work. And I'm not this. I'm doing pretty good. But yet you still still are depressed. You're still struggling with that bottle or, or all the internal things, you know. And so then we're told, well, 
You know, because you're a sinner, you're just going to constantly deal with that kind of stuff. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers, maybe a couple, but there's this mindset that, you know, like the tulip model. I don't know if you're familiar, but kind of this, it's real extreme Calvinism that says that mankind is totally depraved, and the only people that are going to be saved are the ones that God predetermined ahead of time that they'd be saved. Boy, that's a lot of hope in that, isn't it? So you're telling me I'm going to struggle with sin the rest of my life, and I might have been created to go to hell. Why in the world would God charge you with the expectation of transformation in a system like that? Now that's, you know, if there's tulip people watching or listening, I'm not, it, again, it's not about the person, it's about the ideas. And the religious ideas that we carry are sometimes the hardest ones. And people, George, George and Wanda, I met with them, we had lunch, and he was telling me about his deliverance from tulip land, but (laughs) I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to paint the picture that we realize there are things that we believe that when we start to get revelation or when we start to realize, well, maybe I was wrong in this area, and I'm not saying that all of that system is wrong. There's just some things in there that don't really quite match the finished work of Christ. You know what I'm saying? It's like your brain is about to have a hard time processing through these new beliefs, you're going to feel, you ever, have you done that? You've held these, held these ideas, deeply held these ideas, and then you start understanding the spiritual side of who you are in Christ. The brain's got to catch up. The brain's got to realize and go through this process. So if you hear things that, that's like challenging for you, don't just take my word for it. Go. With an open mind, with an open heart, lift off the preconceptions, lift off the mask, and just make it about Jesus. And that's really what all of this boils down to. Are we going to go to Jesus for our understanding of who God is, specifically what he's accomplished, or am I going to have this system that then I'm going to interpret through, right? Let's look at another passage here. We see Jesus addresses this, Luke 10. Luke 10, 25, you know, Jesus had some filters, the way he treated people. It's an interesting study to go through the Gospels and watch how Jesus treated people. You know, we typically go through the Gospels, and we try to figure out what we're supposed to do, and that's a good thing. You know, you want the words and teachings of Christ deep within your heart, but watch how he treats people. You know, it's, it's like nearly everybody except the ones who were supposed to be representing God and were putting law on people in an illegal way, he was pretty harsh with them. But like the woman at the well, who was culturally, he shouldn't have been there, speaking with this woman, there were so, there were so many issues with that. And the woman at the well, if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah to this woman, been married a bunch of times, was probably naked out there. I mean, just a lot of, just breaking so many rules for the cultural issues. But he reveals himself as the Messiah to her. The ones that would come to him and, he'd ask, and they would ask him questions trying to catch him, he would, ask, he, he would ask them questions. He'd turn it, you know, it's a heart matter. His filter was, where are you in your heart with God? Are you open? Are you teachable? Or do you think 
your system is the one that's representing God properly. Now, we're all wrong in some areas. We just don't really know where, and we pray for revelation on that. Are y'all good? I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Two more things. Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I mean, that's smart, right? But we do this. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, all right, let me keep going. Verse 26, Jesus answered, and he says, what? Look at the distinction here, see, because this is where we are. This is why we have to stay teachable and open to the influence of God and, and, and willing to lay down things when we realize, oh, I need to tweak this. As a, as a teacher, I don't have it all worked out. There's things that questions that people have come to me and asked because of something that I said, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should. I get what you're saying. I understand the confusion. I'm going to tweak that a little bit and, so that it's more clear and closer representing what Scripture says in this area. You know, I don't mind questions. It helps refine me because I don't think I've got it all figured out. I just trust Jesus in me. But look at what he says here. What is written in the law, how do you read it? Interesting question, isn't it? Because you would think he'd say, what does the Bible say? <laughs> Done. But he says, how do you read it? Tell me what you think about that. Right? This is what we have to engage this process in. What is it that we think the Bible says? What is it that we think God is doing and, and, and how do we read it? Well, I will submit to you, how do you read it is with your Jesus filter on. What does it say? Of course, what does it say? Everything is based in that, right? The Word of God is our light, the lamp unto our feet. But how do you read it? Jesus, okay? In other words, when you're reading something, the Jesus filter would say, how does this relate to me in light of being on this side of the cross? How does this relate to what Jesus has accomplished? How does this relate to Jesus being the exact representation of the invisible God? Because we read some things, and the Father looks one way, and then Jesus looks another way when we read it, right? How do you read it? Put your Jesus filter on. And then he answers. I'll, we'll go ahead and finish how he answers. Uh, they said, love the Lord your God. Or he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Next verse. And they said, you have answered, or I'm getting it all messed up. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. All right, last verse, John 5. This is kind of where we started last week. John 5, 36. Keep your Jesus filter on. When you're dealing with yourself, when you're dealing with other people, watch how Jesus treated people. And, and do you understand those scriptures and those passages in light of if Jesus breathed on it or if Jesus affected it with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a big deal. So this is the point of where I want to go with how he ends in this particular passage here. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. I love that. He acknowledges that he has been given work to finish. You know what the work is that he finished? Your salvation. Well, I mean, what else did he have to work for? Was, he, was there like a portion of the universe that wasn't, is under construction, you know? 
I mean, we don't stop and think about these kinds of things, right? The, reading the Bible should be a meditative exercise where we stop and think. Very, very specific here. The work that you gave me to finish. What other work is there but to pay for your salvation? I, I mean, I kind of want to just let that sit for a minute. It's finished. Amen? Does that make you want to run out and sin? No. The very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You see where he's going here? Me. It's about me. What the Father is doing is reflected in me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. That's an interesting phrase, right? Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. I mean, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything, he's saying here. It's me or nothing. It's all me or nothing. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. You don't put your Jesus filter on when you're studying scripture. Man, you can end up in some interesting areas and build. That's where, okay, I'm going to keep going. These are, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. You refuse to come to me to have life. You know, when you're reading, when you're treating other people, when you're trying to understand God, are you understanding God in context of Christ? Are you treating others in the context of Christ? Are you looking at yourself in light of what Christ has done in and through you and for you? And, and then, you know, that produces a passion within you to show other people the goodness of God, to let Christ be so evident on your face that they can't deny, but they just desire him because of what you've let him do within you. Throw up that last verse. Because you refuse to come to me to have life. Just this last point, coming to Jesus for life. So when you're standing in front of Jesus in your mind and in your heart, let's say you're in worship, if you're a visual person and you literally see that or, or just, you just have the awareness that Christ is present with you or what, however it is that when you acknowledge God and you go to Christ, are you going to him for the purpose of life? Or do you kind of walk in and wonder, oh, is he... Is he is he pleased with me? Did I do something wrong? You know, are you sin conscious? Are you conscious that I'm going into him because I need life in this moment? He has nothing but open arms for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And can we show the world that, you know? Can we represent God that way to the world that they choose him, that they desire him? Or are we so bogged down by what the world has done to us that we're confused about who God is. A lot of Christians are confused about who God is, not that wondering if he's Jesus or not, but that his, who, what is his real character? You know, I want you to be so confident in the work that Jesus was sent here to finish, that he finished it, that you use it, you let it define who you are, and you let it Filter every choice that you make intentionally and consciously. 
And it's a process. Sometimes even your physiology will fight you because you might have to learn new things and begin to make different choices. But His grace is sufficient. His influence in your heart is more powerful than any other power on the planet. That thing that seems like it's so easy to choose and fall into destruction is nothing compared to the influential grace of God within your heart to transform you. That gospel, the power within you unto salvation, healing, wholeness, restoration, preservation, deliverance, salvation, all those things. Do you go to him for life? Or do you go to him for guilt? You know what I mean? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for salvation that's secure in Christ. We thank you that you've given us this plan of peace, this covenant of peace that is upheld and secure in the finished work of Christ. Jesus, I thank you that you said yes to the call. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about when you were about to be arrested and you prayed three times, God, let's do this a different way. Let this cup pass for me. And you laid down your will and you picked up the will of God because you wanted me in your family. You know, can you personalize that? Jesus, we acknowledge you. You're our Lord, our God our king, our strength, our wisdom, our peace. We want to be fully yielded to you so that we're not conformed by anything but your truth and your influence in our hearts and our lives and our mind. God, we want to make room for you every day to have your way, for your will and your intent and your purposes to be accomplished in and through us so that you would be glorified. We give you ourselves. We give you our heart and our mind. You know, if you're in here and you've never done that, maybe this is the first time that you've done that, you want to say yes to him. I don't know that I understand everything, but I'm willing to believe that what you did was for me. If it's the first time that you've made that profession or decision, just just lift up your hand where I can see you. Wave at me where I can see you. Well, we're probably all brothers and sisters in here. Amen. So take this out this week. You know, when you wake up in the morning tomorrow and you've got your decisions to make, put your Jesus filter on. Remember that he finished the work, your salvation. All his promises are yes and amen for you. And live. Amen?